0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's patreo dot com slash trekfm. This is Manny Cotto, executive producer of Star Trek Enterprise. You're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for Warp course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway.
1: Let's go. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I'm joined by the chief engineer, Brandon Shamatala. Brandon, how's it going?
2: Uh, I'm really busy right now. I need to go out to my garage, and I need to get a power inverter thingamaboo to put on my TV, because uh, I love Lucy's on tonight.
1: Oh, yeah. Got to gotta, gotta get it in gear right there. And if you have a drippy sink, you can pull out the, uh, what, the sonic screwdriver, maybe? You know, and help fix the sink, too, while you're at it, right?
2: Oh, I'll be right back. My microwave's gone off. My uh, cryogenic supper is ready. All right.
1: Well, yeah. That's, you know, that's a given. That's a given. The frozen fish sticks and alcohol, right? (laughs) For our guest tonight, chances are that if you're listening to this podcast, you've most likely read one of his amazing Star Trek novels. Joining Brandon and I in the Command Center is New York Times bestselling author, Dayton Ward. Welcome to Warp 5, Dayton.
0: Hi, guys. How's it going?
1: Very good. Very good. So, Dayton, this is your first time on Warp 5, right?
0: Yeah, I believe so.
1: All right. So tell us a little bit about your Star Trek fandom. Uh, where did it all start?
0: <laughs> uh, well, I go back. and I'm going to date myself. It's going to be horrible. Um, I grew up in the 1970s, so I watched the original show reruns after school and the cartoon on saturdays and so i was then able to watch all the other shows first run um but i mean i was hardcore even back then i had the books i built the models i played with the action figures we played star trek outside uh we put each other's eyes out with those disc guns you know that shoot the little plastic discs and everything yeah. so yeah I, i'm i'm hardcore i mean i my earliest memories involved trying to catch a rerun of the show on a black and white tv where the reception was horrible
1: Yes. Yes. That is actually exactly the description of my childhood. Exactly. On a big cabinet TV, even.
0: I had a little, we had a, we had a color TV in the living room and I had a black and white one in my bedroom that had the rabbit ears, you know, cause you had like four channels. Oh, right. Yeah. So well, we, Star, yeah. Star Trek ran on the UHF stations, you know, the local stations in town. Right. And it was horrible. And if I went out to a relative's house on a Saturday and tried to catch that 12, 12 p.m. Saturday broadcast then it was out in the middle of the boonies and you, know, you play with the antenna and sometimes you have to decide whether you wanted to hear it or see it
1: <laughs> that's great that's great that's exactly like my grandfather's house we had the big aerial outside and you had to twist it just right to get that other channel You know, I didn't even know it was a
0: color channel. show until like the late 70s when I got a color TV
1: oh wow you were surprised very good so you've, you wrote a winning entry for the Strange New Worlds novel series. So what was the process like going from a fan writing a short story to a fully licensed author?
0: Well, I still don't quite understand it. Um, I entered the first Strange New Worlds contest way back in 1997, um, and I was one of the 18 winners of that first year's contest. And then I was able to play stories in the second and third year's contests, and at which point I had rendered myself ineligible to enter that contest. But the, the editor there at the time, John Oldover offered me a star Trek novel contract. Uh, and that's my secret origin story. I've been doing it ever since. So awesome. they must like me because they keep calling me back. So.
1: Well, you keep putting out great books because like the Vanguard series that you're, you were a part of, Oh my gosh, I had my fingers crossed. I was hoping that was going to be the new, the next star Trek series.
0: That one so. was a lot of fun. That was uh that was the creation of uh, Dave Mack and uh, editor Marco Palmieri. And they were gracious enough to invite Kevin and me into the sandbox. And then once we were there, we wouldn't, we wouldn't make room for anybody at all. So we got real selfish real quick, the three of us. So um, it was a lot of fun. It's still, it's still one of the highlights of doing this.
1: So tell us a little bit about your enterprise fandom.
0: Well, I mean, I was there from the beginning. Uh, I watched it all the way through. Um, I didn't, I don't, I didn't love it, I guess, the first time through. I loved episodes, but the whole show, as you know, as a whole, kind of left me wanting. But um, a few years ago, when I started researching one of the books that I'm sure we'll talk about later, I had reason to rewatch certain episodes of Enterprise, and I found myself just letting them play. You know, letting the discs play, and I remembered and I, and I'm thinking, this is better than I remember this episode is better than I remember. So I started sampling, you know, first I I would, you know, hopscotch through the discs and then I just said, the heck, I'm just going to binge watch the whole series. And, you know, it's still not my favorite of the shows, but I remember, or I mean, I like more episodes than I remembered liking the first time through, if that makes any sense. Uh, I came away with a greater appreciation and fondness for the show. Um, I was a big fan of the concept and the premise of, of the prequel sitting and, you know, before Kirk and Spock and everything. I just thought that sometimes it didn't do the things I wanted to do or didn't go far enough or didn't take it the direction that I wished it had gone. Uh, but you know, having rewatched it and then having had reasons to revisit it because of the book stuff, um, you know, I'm a fan.
1: We get that a lot from listeners that they, the first time through, it wasn't really what they were wanting, but then Netflix has made huge fans out of a lot of people or, or at least it's Brit it's especially you get to season three. It's just made for binging on Netflix
0: when I first heard what they were going to do, and then it was going to be the the beginning of, you know, exploring and everything, I was really hoping that they'd spend like the first year kind of working out the kink, so to speak, with the Enterprise and the crew, kind of like a right stuff approach. You know, right. so you see a lot of failures and a lot of setbacks and, and challenges. And then, and then finally, maybe toward the end of the first year, that's when they finally get the first exploration mission. So, you know, obviously they did everything I wanted. They just did it in the first two hours versus the first season. <laughs> they kind right. of compressed it all. So, but. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's okay. If I had to do over again, I would do a Star Trek show that was sort of like the right stuff.
1: And that was actually one of the ideas that the producers had was that it was going to be uh, right now. I'm having a hard time with the episode. It's the one with Carradine. Oh, it's called
0: first flight. Yeah. That's yeah. First
1: flight. And first flight was actually going to be the first season. Right. And the, there was some kind of a thing with the studio saying, no, they need to be out there and they need to start going right away. And you know,
0: you yeah, know, I bring up stuff like, you know, the right stuff from the Earth to the Moon, that miniseries that was on HBO several years ago, that sort of approach to the space program. I would love to have seen a Star Trek version of their exploration program run that way. That would have been that's my right. dream job. So maybe one day I'll write a book that way. Who knows?
2: I would really rather have seen myself like Star Trek meets the Golden Girls. <laughs>
0: Didn't they do that with the aging episode, The Deadly Years? Wouldn't that? No. (laughs)
1: All right. So for today's show, Boomers, we're going to be doing an episode commentary. So, But not just any episode. So today is actually April 5th when we're actually recording this. So everyone usually thinks of First Contact Day. This is supposed to be the official first contact. And I say supposed to be because... The episode that we're commenting on is season two's carbon Creek. So everyone who's watched enterprise and saw carbon Creek, they know to Paul's story possibly could be, uh, maybe trumping that, ori- that first original official first contact day.
0: So we wonder,
1: yeah, we wonder, we even not, not so sure. Maybe at the end of the episode, but we'll see, we'll, we'll watch it again here and we'll, uh, we'll 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 have to make another judgment on it, so again, <laughs> listeners, you don't have to watch the episode to listen along. You can listen to it in your car. That's what I usually do uh but if you want to listen along, we've had people that actually posted screenshots showing watching Enterprise with our podcast on their phone, so that was pretty cool so-
2: and If you don't want to watch along, you don't have to. We'll be sure to point things out. We're watching it so you don't have to
1: right. <laughs> So I'm actually gonna be watching it using the uh full journey Blu-ray discs. Yeah, me and, too. And uh Dayton, how are you watching it?
0: I've got my little Blu-ray queued up on my big screen TV here.
1: Okay, so everybody's Blu-raying it. All right.
0: With subtitles so that we don't have any audio problems.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: You can't read lips, Dayton? <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: All right, so basically, uh, boomers, you know the rules. Uh, I'll ca- I'll count down three, two, one, play. Everyone plays on their devices, so we can all get synced up. And if you're in your car, then I guess you can just pretend on the steering wheel. But um, is if everybody's ready...
2: And if you have one of those self-driving cars, well, then you can watch along while you drive.
1: You can just, yeah, t- sit in the back seat. <laughs> okay, so we'll hit play... In three, two, one, play.
2: What a beautiful lady. <laughs>
1: Say when. When. And to Paul says when. As soon as he says when, she says when. And he pours a little extra. You notice.
0: Yeah, he's an enabler.
1: <laughs> and then look what he does for Trip. He's like, here, have the bottle and the straw.
2: Now it took me a while, but one of the funny things that I I never really thought to Paul looked quite right, and I didn't realize until afterwards that it's because in the first two seasons her eyebrows aren't up arched; they're not up swept like Vulcans should be.
0: That and um, her, I never really cared for her hairstyle in the early seasons. Okay, yeah. it's kind of it looks it looks butchered, you know, her bangs. Uh, I don't know, and I I'm, I'm glad they finally put her in a uniform of sorts later on because I don't know who thought that color pattern was to ask you about. awesome. <laughs> I never really cared for that first and second year uniform of hers. Yes. Not even, and before that's before we even get into the whole, why another cat suit thing. But um, it, I guess, you know, I would have thought she would wear something more functional. I guess this is a functional Vulcan garment, I guess. And if you go with the, the if you go with the backstory as fleshed out in books and stuff, you know, Vulcans have, more susceptible to temperature that's the, the standard temperature on the ship oh, is too cold or too, too cool so that's why they wear the extra layers or whatever personal matter so. creek,
2: well, that'll make a lot of sense considering they're on a desert planet
0: yeah
1: so here's trip just straight up asking her like if why were you there and archer's playing the if it's a good one. oh well if she doesn't want to tell us she doesn't have to tell us you know so here I goes the challenge because I wanted to visit is
2: carbon Pacific creek a real California. town is a real city
0: I don't think so. I looked it up. I think I looked it up when I was researching the one book, and it's not a real town. (laughs)
1: Bakula's expressions in the scene are hilarious.
2: The way that Scott Bakula talks almost reminds me a bit of Shatner and how he talks, you know? What do you think? He
0: does have that delivery sometimes where he pauses mid-sentence, like he's trying to gather his thoughts.
1: His sentences have a lot of periods in between the words, right? The commas. Would you like to hear the
2: story? You seen that meme going around that says, uh, what is it, the Oxford comma, the regular comma, the Walken comma, and the Shatner comma? Shatner comma, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Dayton, season one and two theme song or season three and four?
0: Uh, three and four. Uh, really? I mean, I'm one of the people who doesn't actually hate the theme song.
2: I don't mind it either. I just like the first two.
0: I just, seasons. I knew, I knew it was a departure from the previous shows. But if you listen to the lyrics, I'm like, well, it actually kind of makes a sort of sense based on the premise of the show.
1: Oh yeah, the the scenes, the pictures, and I the love words. the opening
0: credits. The opening oh credits gosh. are my favorite as far as visually, they're the best of any of the Star Trek shows. And I, I'm a hardcore original series fan, so it's hard for me to admit anything like that. <laughs> um, the same thing with the uniforms. The, their uniforms are actually my favorites because to me, they're the most practical. Yep. You know, design, they got pockets, they got places to put stuff. They, you know, they, they don't look like they're going to come apart uh, when you start fighting lizard people and stuff.
1: Right. Yeah. Lots, lots of zippers.
0: Hardcore original series fan, it pains me to have to make that sort of admission, but it's true.
1: I, I completely agree. I'm a, I'm a huge TOS fan, like, right from the start. And I, I love Archer pulling the, the communicator out of his sleeve pocket. <laughs> It's so they got, awesome. you know,
0: they got pens in the sleeve pockets, like pilots would, and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, yep. it, it gives it a, it gives it a feeling of rea- of real, of realism.
1: Right. Your Sputnik.
0: Your Sputnik. Nice. They never really do explain why they're here at this particular point in time, do they?
2: Well, yeah, they're following the Sputnik. Uh,
0: I know, push. but it, I mean, that's a pretty, it's a pretty minor feat you know compared to what they're doing <laughs> they had to come across interstellar interstellar space yeah.
1: they were investigating the first artificial satellite they were probably just in the neighborhood you know yeah they were, they were looking at some other solar system like oh yeah you want to go over here and kill some time
2: they came for the frozen dinners <laughs>
0: that's what it was they came for the lucy show lucy show <laughs>
2: So, when you were doing your research for your novel, so from History's Shadow, what was it about Mistral that made you want to use this character?
0: Well, it's the whole the, the book started with the with the the Ferengi landing at Roswell, you know that episode. The I, I was looking to marry up uh, elements of that storyline with uh, Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln from the original show, and so the through line became. Um, their, you know, the, the investigations of extraterrestrial activity and potential threats to earth and that kind of thing um so the project blue book and, and all that stuff that actually was a real deal back in the 50s and the 60s and, and so i started mapping out like right, who was on earth or what happened what do we know happened in star trek land during this period and of course mistral came up um and then knowing that he was Left behind at the end of the episode. Oh, spoiler for people who haven't watched ahead yet. <laughs>
1: Spoilers.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, um, you know, knowing that he was still there on Earth at the end of the episode, that was a, that's a fascinating story dangle, you know, or a plot thread that lead leaving to be left dangling. So, uh, actually, you know, I, I naturally grabbed him because I knew I could make use of him in the storyline. Well that So the that was that was that was the key. Was that he was there on Earth and he's, he's potentially there on Earth later. Hmm. So into the eighties and the nineties and possibly he made it all the way to first contact. We don't know. I'd like to think he made it. Did he survive the Third World War? Don't know. The actor,
2: I didn't write his name down, I should have wrote his name down, but he actually plays the future Borg drone in uh, the Voyager episode. I think the episode is just called Drone when uh, the nanites... Drone, yeah. Yeah, the nanites from uh, from seven nine go into the Doctor's uh, mobile emitter and they make this futuristic Borg drone. He actually is the same it's actor. the same
0: actor yeah I didn't know that that's cool I learned something today how about that
1: <laughs> and Archer fills up no her glass. glass right <laughs> here you go here you go this is called a straw <laughs> to Paul you know that scene it just showed the captain land their dad and they look over at her and go what are your orders and she's got this shocked look on her face I just wonder if that's what we're going to see in discovery
0: I remember thinking at the time when they said that they ate, ate all their emergency rations within a week and like there's episodes of the original show where Spock doesn't eat for days on end right because yeah. he's he's meditating or he's busy working or he's going through Pon Far or whatever he doesn't eat so I'm like what'd you guys eat what'd you guys have
1: or how many rations did they have like a really jelly- how many
0: granola bars can you eat you know
1: they had like one jelly bean between all of them so bad they're gonna think about eating the Bambi here <laughs>
2: creatures could sustain us for some time which they don't it's interesting that they would consider it though right like right off the bat this character mistral is different from the other ones because he's actually considering eating an animal and the others are kind of you know disgusted with it and they're like no we're not going to do that but it's showing you right from the beginning of the episode how different this guy is from the other two and how open he is to
1: change yeah it was a little shocking that he was like he was ready for it right from the start we might have to go ahead and just consume that animal Better to leave them with, the with no he as was as also
2: um one of the Nazis now was it was it stormfront or was it the killing game that he was a Nazi in Mistral. the guy that played Mistral
0: I don't know <clears throat> maybe I think maybe the killing game well I mean that it's not like they don't Star Trek has a rich history of reusing guest actors yeah. I mean, particularly if they're gonna be under lots of makeup so I mean ask uh, Ask Jeffrey Combs how that worked out.
2: I love how this town looks. Like, the the old vehicles that they used and, you know, just the colors of everything, like these kind of dark blues and stuff, like, it really feels cool.
1: I'm telling you, I've seen this town before, like, towns like this.
0: I want to remember, I want to, re- I want to say that I remember reading about the production of the episode and it was filmed somewhere along some stretch of highway in California. I uh, mean, at least parts of the exterior shots, so...
2: Carbon Creek looks like a cold place.
1: Yeah, there's Brandon's favorite spot, his favorite scene. I will speak.
0: <laughs> what is it?
1: It's cold in Canada. Apparently, it's cold there too, right, Brandon?
2: Backwards. Oh yeah, man. You should see me when I'm standing behind my laundry and the light
0: shining on me.
1: Oh no! Stop.
0: Oh <laughs> well, the old wool cap. The wool cap to cover the pointed ears. I bet that's in a Vulcan survival guide for journeying to Earth or whatever in the 20th century. Wear a stocking cap. <laughs> yeah, this is not a set. This is actually some sort of roadside place, like on me, you know, some stretch of rural highway in California. Yeah, makes yeah.
1: Sense. like Northern California, maybe with the pine trees.
0: Yeah, I'd like yeah, to know where it is because it's really cool.
1: I've seen towns that look like that. And oh, yeah. Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. They still have cars that are driving around the like I drove too. through a bunch
0: of them just a couple weeks ago. We had a road trip. We, took, we went from uh, where I live in Kansas City down to New Orleans, but we cut through uh, ten, uh, Tennessee and Mississippi on the way down. Yeah, lots of little towns like that. Yep. Little one stop light, one stop sign towns.
1: So the actor that's playing Mistral is J. Paul Beimer. And he was in the Voyagers, the killing game, Voyagers drone. He was in DS9. He played a Cardassian.
0: All the also, roles with makeup, you know, the prosthetics and stuff.
1: He also played a Nazi SS officer in Zero Hour and Stormfront. So okay, he so played... he was in
2: both the killing game and, and uh, Stormfront, yeah. Yep. It
1: so. Interesting. See, it's weird
2: because, so her, to Paul's eyebrows aren't upswept, but his are.
1: Yeah, and I noticed that the other actor, the third Vulcan in this, has got his eyebrows up, too.
0: I wonder if it's a case of, and I have no idea if this is true or not, I wonder if it's just a simple case that Jolene Blaylock didn't want to have her eyebrows shaved so that they could put on the, you know, like Leonard Nimoy used to have to have his eyebrows shaved and they put on the fake ones. Right. Um,
1: She was was a huge Star Trek fan, though, before she started. Like, she was a huge original series fan.
0: Yeah. I don't know if that was a thing or not. I don't, I don't, maybe they just decided they didn't want her to have those ups with eyebrows. They didn't like the way it looked on her. Right. I bet there's somewhere, somewhere there's probably a test makeup test, mm-hmm. early shots of her hair and eyebrows and ears and stuff. Somebody's gotten something somewhere.
1: Well, like in the first season one, she's got like the old checkoff wig going, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then this looks more like her natural hair probably. But it's starting to grow the way she probably wants it. By season three, it looks natural, like a lot more natural, I think.
0: I think she did wear a wig during the first two years, didn't she?
1: Yeah, and it looks like the the first check off the very first check oh, off Oh, yeah, of that wig. first,
0: yeah. <laughs> what brings you to Carbon Creek?
1: What do you got that's free?
0: We had an accident with our vehicle outside your town.
2: Carbon okay. Creek. It's an interesting little name for a town.
0: You folks married? No.
2: So how do you guys feel about episodes like this that do like a, a past story of a crew member? Like I think a lot of 1159 when I watch this episode.
0: I like them. They're a nice change of pace. Um, it gives a chance to get outside for one thing and do some location shooting. It lets the actors break from their routine a little bit, like in the case of Jolene Blaylock. Um, I, I imagine the actors find it a nice change of pace to get off those sets.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and out of those uniforms <laughs> even if it's just for a few days I'm up for a game
1: this looks like it would be fun to play you know like a 50s style
0: yeah it's kind of like when they get the mirror universe scripts like oh yes I get to be a bad guy you know right. that's funny. yeah we
2: were just we just had an interview with Gary Graham and we got to talk to him about that and he's like he didn't he's like I don't know what's going on here with this script and and then he watched the episode he's like oh that's what they're doing with it <laughs>
1: Yep, he just told us that he didn't have any idea what in the world he was just reading the lines and doing what they said, but he had no idea how this worked.
0: <laughs> Which uh, for his sp- spot on Enterprise or for the Mirror Universe stuff? For the Mirror, Mirror Universe, Universe episode. Oh yeah. We do not. What's he doing these days, anyway? I mean, I know he was wrapped up in the the Accler stuff, but what's he what's he doing otherwise? Is he acting, or is he retired, or?
2: Uh, he said he's tentatively uh, executive producing a, sh- a show, like he's uh, working on a pilot or something right now where he's the executive producer. That's so cool. Might be out next spring.
0: I, I was always a fan of his. I loved uh, Alien Nation. I was a big fan of the Alien Nation TV series. Did you watch Robot Jocks? No, I haven't. Um, oh, I've never, never seen it, it but I, I remember that he was in it. because One of my favorite bits about that is from my partner, Kevin Dillmore, my writing partner. He interviewed him once years ago at, uh, for Star Trek Communicator. And uh, Gary Graham was talking about his role, and he said that his wife hated that movie. It's to be called a, a, I don't know what your language rating is on the show, but. G. Okay, so a piece of fecal matter. And he said, no, honey, it's pronounced cult classic. And <laughs> So that's one of my favorite bits about that.
1: I love the Mistral, How he just jumps straight into like, I'll take, I'll shoot you a game and fast Eddie.
0: Yeah, fast Mistral here. Fast Eddie Felson so, going on. So
1: man, like, yeah, Vulcans stuck on Earth are automatic pool sharks.
0: That's how he made his money. Was just hustling pool in right. back rooms.
2: So that's what it's like got data in- and times
1: arrow playing poker. So that's what you've got in your novel. He's a pool hustler.
0: The pool hustler. I should have. I didn't. I didn't play up that bit. I should have. Um, could, have, could have had Fats. him going up against Fast Eddie or Minnesota Fat somewhere.
1: Yes. <laughs> and then Paul Newman walks in.
0: There you go. <laughs> well, that's 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 his character from The Hustler, is Fast Eddie felt. Oh,
1: okay, okay, I could.
0: Yeah, Hustler and Color of Money. Yeah, right.
2: Cryogenics. <laughs>
1: Cryogenics. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's got chocolate chip cookies.
0: All the staples, man, of a healthy diet right there.
1: That's not very logical. What are you implying?
2: <laughs> her facial expressions are awesome in this scene when he tripped and left her smiling and she's just like, What do you mean? You know, like her she's just the perfect straight man. <laughs> if you're not interested
1: in hearing the rest, he, he actually mentions Twilight Zone, so Twilight Zone is canon, folks.
0: Well, it's canon as a TV show in the Star Trek universe, so we right. know that they watched *The Twilight Zone*.
1: Right. Which makes them canon for us. There we go. There we go. So, they took whatever
2: they could find so yeah, we're recording this on our on the what they call the tentative. Um, First contact day, but all over Facebook today I was tweeting pictures of the the guys from the mirror image just before they shot up the Vulcans and I'm like, Happy first contact day, board their ship, take everything you can.
1: (laughs) Hey and Doctor Who with the he's got the sonic screwdriver out, right? Yeah. Doctor Who is also in here, I guess. It seemed less
0: likely that their distress call had
1: been received.
2: Man, like these mining conditions are just crazy. There's a there's a documentary that I watched once and uh, something something county usa i can 't remember the name of it but it was a documentary about these this these workers that went on strike and how the the people that owned the mine were like fighting back and like so they were it was like one of the first union strikes in America and uh they were like shooting up the workers and stuff like they got like the mafia involved and stuff like it was crazy wow Sherman county usa I think it's called or something like that the documentary
1: what what year was that Are you actually interested in
2: mathematics? oh geez it's been so long since i've seen it i think it was in the 60s okay the the that this that uh, the strike happened he
1: got a scholarship. so that's kind of in the neighborhood of when this would have been set
2: yeah but i think about that because like you know i work in a unionized environment right and we're big on safety and it's like you know safety has come a long way and it's like you know this accident that comes later on in the in the episode, it's almost, you know, something that you're expecting because of the times.
1: There was a sign behind her a while ago that said uh, "beer five cents." Uh, boy, that makes that makes you want to go back to the past, there, right? Didn't?
0: No kidding. Of course, we were making like a we were making like a dollar a day, so you know, five cents. True.
1: True. This is great. This is the third time
0: this week. Honey, I I'm home. <laughs> It might be tolerable if her son didn't insist on calling me Mo. <laughs> Why does he do that? Insist on calling me Mo. Yeah, he's got the haircut so going. That, he
1: actually does look I like Mo. <laughs> <have similar> hair. <laughs>
2: there is a resemblance.
1: So the Three, <laughs> Three Stooges are a show I'm in the Star Trek universe.
0: perhaps you can help me construct a subspace transceiver. I told We're
2: finding you lots of deep continuity, continuity here. <laughs> yes. We here, we'll die. You wonder what cover story they would tell, right? With them all living together? Because when they originally came to town, he was the business partner.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you figure people are going to gossip in a small town like this. Yeah. What's going on over there? This, you know.
1: I'm doing research. They're shacking up. You more time
0: Unmarried.
2: You might not have such a pessimistic view of them. Open your eyes. Because if she'd originally said that they were married, right, then they could have passed the other guy off maybe as the father or something like that. Or a
0: brother or something,
2: you know. Sure, yeah, brother, yeah.
1: I just watched it yesterday, and I expected her to say brother, and she didn't. So I was like, well, that, throughout that theory. I've seen this a bunch of times, and I, I thought she was going to say brother. So I guess Dayton
2: we will tell you how we came across this one here. So we put a, uh, we have the Babel conference, which is our listeners only group for the Track of M listeners, and we put up a vote and and uh, which episode did you want us to do a commentary on? And this one won by like double the votes. I think it was like forty votes to Dead Stop was the second with twenty or something and. So when we chose this, that's when I reached out to you. I'm like, we should get Dayton Ward on to talk about this one.
0: So how many episodes do you offer up as a as a for voting? I mean, do you just give them like a handful or the next 4 or 5 in line or how does it work? I originally put 4 episodes up. I put one from each
2: season, but I left it open so that they could add to the list. Okay. And somebody added Carbon Creek and everybody voted for Carbon Creek.
0: I remember liking this one. It was on. This is one of the ones that I liked the first time through because I liked the idea behind it. I liked the idea of, of the Vulcans visiting and behind the scenes and you know, counter to the official record and that kind of thing. Those kind of stories always. I'm a sucker for those kinds of things, and the fish out of water, you know, conceits that you had to deal with with the Vulcans here. Um, and I, you know, I filed it away, thinking one of these days I'll find a way to uh, do something with. Maybe I can revisit it in some way. I mean, I was already pretty busy doing Star Trek stuff at that point. So, but I, I had been pondering the idea of a follow-up to Little Green Men for years uh, before I finally worked out all the kinks and submitted the pitch. And then by then, Enterprise had come and gone. I mean, that's how long I had been playing with the initial idea. So once I got this, I was able to, all right, I can put Mistral in the mix, and I can do X, Y, Z, and, and add so many other things that came along just since I started pondering the notion. I mean I had I had ideas about using Benny Russell and his publisher from the magazine and all that kind of stuff that I had to leave out. So yeah.
2: Well when you're when you're a big enough author like Stephen King, you know, like he did the stand complete and uncut edition, you can do from History's Shadow the Complete and Uncut Edition, maybe. Yeah.
0: I don't know if anybody you you and I will probably be the only people who think that's a cool idea. <laughs> See I like this episode a lot because
2: I like the Mistral character I like seeing this Vulcan who's really fascinated with earth culture and and the people that are there and he's really you know he's kind of diving in and saying look this is this could be my life from now on and I'm interested in figuring out what's going on
0: and he's defending them to you know to to Paul and uh, I'm blanking on the other character's name now mo yeah he, <laughs> but I mean he's defending him he's like you know they have, a, they have a they have a capacity for empathy and compassion and they have great potential and um, you know, if you would pay attention to what they're doing, you would see that. Sorry. And of course, uh, you know the, his two companions are, or they have already written them off. They're just—they're just biding time, waiting for rescue. I know. And he's just becoming more and more fascinated.
1: Well, he's a rebel compared to other Vulcans. Plus, well, he's got a girlfriend. He's like, well, He—he
0: yeah. he,
1: he needs to make his move, or she's going to make her move.
0: Yes, yeah, so you—you have to wonder what. Where he ended up, where he went, you know, where where did his travels take him in the years that followed? Where did he go? What 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 historical events did he witness, you know, firsthand? And did it shake or reinforce his feelings about humans? I, I, I didn't mean to. I, you know, because this is like pre, oh it's pre Vietnam, it's uh, it pre what we have now. It's obviously pre World War Three, and uh, you know, was he around when Khan did his uprising? We don't know.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, the 90s.
0: Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that Strange New Worlds readers and writers should be just glomming onto. Hint, hint. Dangling plot thread. (laughs) Stuff like this is gold for writers, because we're just penciling this in. I'll follow up on that, or I'll look look into that.
2: Well, I had had an interesting idea for a story that my wife and I were going to write for the last Strange New World anthology. But of course we live in the completely foreign country of Canada, so we don't qualify to enter into the Strange New World contest. Blame your
0: government for that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Blame my government for a lot of things.
0: They used to open it to Canada but with exclusions like all me of me. Canada except like Quebec or something. I forget what the restrictions were on the original set of Strange New Worlds, but there were there were entries from Canada but just not like certain certain provinces or cities were not allowed because of the way the laws worked with respect to you have to have a translation available or something it was it was pretty it was pretty complicated and doing us doing a contest where money is i didn't initiate a surprise that gets complicated when you deal with different countries and their different tax laws and all that sort of thing work for higher agreements work differently in different countries you know because you're basically writing a work-for-hire story Starting and the, the people who own Star Trek own your story, so that works differently it's from country to country. So it becomes expensive and time-consuming to sort all that out, and it becomes more time-consuming and and expensive than the thing is liable to make money-wise. Hmm. So. Sad truth, unfortunately.
2: Okay, now this might be strange, but I really like the way she grabs this. I like her hand. Like, watch her hand when she grabs this candle. I don't know why, but I always see that and like it.
1: Well, it's a Vulcan in a flame, so, I mean, come on. It's like a moth.
2: I think it's the way that her thumb is on the front of the candle rather than behind, like she would be grabbing a glass, and I don't know why. I just, I like the way she grabbed this candle. She's
0: using it as a meditation right. tool, or she's trying to, and then the kid comes along. About to meditate. Right. Go away, kid, you bother me.
1: We sometimes make fun of like Tuvok. You know, where in the world do you get all those candles? <laughs> you know, and then to Paul, you know, her locker must be full of candles. She's got like a storage locker somewhere. It's just top uh, bottom, of to uh, like bottom candles.
0: Yeah, they don't have replicators yet on Enterprise, so. In Indian, they've got these. They got chef. The Supposedly, they can almost stop their hearts. That's real steak.
1: Not that replicated stuff, (laughs) which then we got into the, where they put it all, you know, but it it was was in the locker next to Paul's candles. Astronomy, um,
0: literature. Sometimes I'll just pick a book off the shelf and start reading. What
1: about you? What do you like to read? You just start reading. Especially if it's a Dayton Ward book.
0: It's the kid who's starting to help break through her, her, you know, the wall she's thrown up as far as a of humans he's the one who's helping crack, Tomorrow you know, introduce some cracks to that wall.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. Cause she's already put her foot down that the uh, Mistral can't talk to them anymore, but now here she is fraternizing. Well, well not fraternizing, but conversing.
0: It was nice talking to you. And you.
2: What year does this take place in? Well,
0: uh, Sputnik was October, 1957.
2: Fifty-seven.
0: Um, they would be October, December, that time frame. I forget how long they had to wait for rescue, but, but it was only a few months, I think, at max. So late fifty-seven, early fifty-eight. By the end of the episode. I'm afraid I can't.
1: Well, I don't know because it's baseball season. I know
0: that's not right. I mean, they, unless it's minor league or something. Yeah.
1: they are playing winter ball.
2: Well, how long did Sputnik stay up in orbit? Not
0: not long enough for baseball season.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what we were told. Yeah. That was the official story. I forgot,
0: about the, I forgot about the baseball thing. That does throw a monkey wrench into the continuity, doesn't it?
1: Okay, we're going to switch the continuity here, listeners. They're not talking about baseball. They're talking about basketball. There we go. It's fixed. Are, go. hockey. It's
0: fixed. Can, they do, can they do doubleheader hockey games? Sure they do, right? No. They never really do say what sport it is, right? We just assume it's baseball because he said doubleheader.
2: Well, he went to a baseball game with Hurd, and he said baseball. I think game, he I said think.
1: baseball in Town earlier. So,
0: yeah. Oh uh, well. All right. Well, sorry, writers, you messed that one up then.
1: This is. Dude,
2: I don't even want to do this commentary anymore. Let's switch. It to something else. <laughs> My whole
0: life is a lie. Is
2: it worth the risk? Just Let's do uh, unexpected. We can't contaminate
1: your culture. This has nothing. Actually, minefield right after this one we're gonna keep this party going (laughs) it has to do with
0: compassion
2: compassion yeah and i mean he really wants to save them and you know it it it, it would make it's an interesting thing like would this be a prime directive issued for the vulcans i mean it's just an accident in a mine right
0: well i mean they have their version of the non-interference directive they just don't call it that they're saying we can't contaminate their culture we can't interfere with their stuff so it's basically the prime directive. But it's interesting to see the you know how he's justifying his actions. He's saying it's not about contamination; it's about compassion. It's like, well, that's a very human thing to say. So, you know, who's contaminating who at this point?
2: Well, when she, when Maggie pulled up to him and he got into the vehicle, he was almost smiling when she pulled mm-hmm. up to him, too, right?
1: Yeah, his face, his expression definitely changed.
0: I mean, at this point in the episode, if you've never seen it before, you're thinking two things are going to happen. He's going to stay behind and hang out with Maggie, or he's going to die in the accident. So, which way? Let's see what happens. Oh, there's that cave of death that we've seen in every episode of everything ever.
1: Plaster Paris. Painted Plaster Paris.
0: Yep. Yeah. But that's okay, though. It's a, it's It's one of Star Trek's charms that you get to recognize sets like this. It's like the planet set from the original show. Oh, yeah. Love those mountains.
1: Well, it looks like something that you would see on a stage. That's what I always try to explain to my wife. She's like, why do you like original series? Why do you like this? I'm like, it's like something I could sit in a play and see this on stage. It's awesome.
0: Well, I mean, you know, considering what they had to work with budget wise, it, it made perfect sense to have a controlled environment, an indoor set. And, you know, what he had to work with, the money he had to work with and the time he had to work under, I thought Matt Jeffries, you know, you can't say enough good things about what Matt Jeffries did. Oh, yeah. the original show and you can't say enough things about guys like Herman Zimmerman working on these shows you know they time crunch money crunch the it's sets. amazing to see how some of this stuff comes together
1: the sets though in Enterprise are amazing
0: I love the Enterprise sets I don't know why people take issue with them I, I think it's a natural progression from where we are granted it doesn't necessarily line up perfectly with 1960s TOS Enterprise but that's just one of the things you have to accept
2: Right. right. It, it shouldn't line up with 1960s because, you know, that's it was made at that time. Like, I can't wait to see what Discovery's going to look like. Right, you know, I don't want it to look like 1960s Star Trek. I want it to look like 2017 Star Trek, you know?
0: I mean, if they can find a way to honor the way it looks in the broad strokes, you know, I'm okay with it. I mean, I, I accept that a show made in 2017 is not going to look like a show made in 1965. Right. Not because on a week-to-week of, basis. I mean, yes, they can throw back once in a while, like they did with the Mirror Universe episodes and stuff, but you can't do it. You can't do it completely.
1: Well, I mean, because of that show, we have a smartphone. We're talking on these laptops with these video video conferencing. You know, all those things were imagined on Star Trek. So the show itself contaminated the timeline.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it contaminated its own timeline when they went back in time.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's some... That's some string theory, quantum, whatever, to mess you
2: up. Now, Dayton, you were talking about the sets a little while ago, and that's, you know, the sets on the original series, that's part of the reason why I love season one of Star Trek, the next generation so much is because a lot of the sets from season one of TNG are very reminiscent of the TOS sets, you know, those monotone color skies, you know, like in Skin of Evil, it's all red, and in Arsenal Freedom, it's all like green or blue or whatever it is and
0: yeah the planet set yeah during the first couple years is uh definitely just like TOS i mean which is with a little more money applied but and it's like i said it's one of those quirky things that you can't not love mm-hmm. about the show
1: i got to paul sweeping the parking lot I'm yeah sorry, why tamir. is she
2: sweeping this parking lot tamir
0: reminds me of raking the sand <laughs>
1: Oh, it's a meditation thing. There you go. There you go. There's no sand, but they've got plenty of pine cones and oh, yeah. dead grass.
2: Uh, when you said that, I immediately thought of Tim Russ and Spaceballs, comb in the desert.
0: When I was in the Marine Corps, we would. Uh, I spent some time at the, the base out in California, 29 Palms, which is in the middle of the desert. And you drive through the main side part of the base where all the barracks are and the commissary and all that. And you'd see guys out there with rakes, Raking the sand in front of the different buildings, little lines making not just perfectly aligned lines of sand to make it all look like you you know whatever. I have no idea why they did that. I figured it had to be a punishment. You know, you screwed up. You're the guy that gets to go rake the sand. And you were a good boy. Painting rocks and raking the sand.
2: Yeah, like the the look she gives him when he says he's not going to school. She's like, what?
1: She's shocked. You know, and she helped him while ago to save the miners carbon creek you know he was gonna he was gonna use the gun no matter what, but she actually told him exactly where to do it so it didn't contaminate or they didn't see anything mm-hmm. so she's already there this the the boy got her there
0: well, she sees the potential i mean she sees that yeah she sees that this is this is a a good ambassador for the for us.
1: He got the highest score in the county. We just don't know, like, what was this competition like in that county, you know?
2: Okay, off topic here. I'm from Canada. What's a county?
1: It's like a sub-district for a state. So we have, you know, we have states, but then the states are all broken up into smaller pieces of county. So it's government. It's it's a smaller government inside the state. Okay. And then, like, in, in Louisiana, they call
0: them parishes. I don't think it equates to provinces.
2: No, like a province is like a state, they're just a lot bigger.
0: It's like like he says it's they call them parishes down in Louisiana, but uh, otherwise they're counties. And then you have you can usually have depending on how the counties are divided, you might have one major city in a county or, or several smaller towns or a little bit of or you know, one city and its surrounding suburbs and smaller towns.
1: In Texas, usually the town in the center of the is the t- the county seat. It's in the very center of the county. So it was okay. it was equidistant for everyone in the county to be able to go to market or something like that.
2: Okay, now I'm going to give you a heads up. Watch when she gets out of this building. Right, I just want to give you a heads up on that for now. There's a sign on the wall I want you to look at.
1: Yep, I looked at that but, earlier. You saw it? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I saw what you saw, but I actually was okay. looking at it.
2: So, how do you guys feel about the Velcro?
1: It's genius.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's a fib, It's a fudging of the in reality when Velcro was invented, right? Yeah. I mean, wasn't it invented a little earlier or a little later? I forget.
2: Okay, here. So, watch. Look at the sign here. The first floor. Oh, it says Asher. I thought it said Archer. Oh yeah. yeah sure. Never mind. I I'm telling it said you Archer.
1: right now, she didn't get, get enough cash.
0: I was gonna say, yeah, she got yeah. she got hosed on that deal.
1: She should have brought the post-it notes. That would have got it for her right there. Should have sold the post-it notes.
2: That guy is just laughing at the bank.
1: (laughs) Actually, I see hundreds in there also.
2: So what, they just carry cash on hand to buy patents from people walking in off the street? It could happen.
1: (laughs) Open up the safe. (laughs) device. It's unfortunate that you'll be leaving these people without experiencing one thing they have to offer.
0: Such as alcohol, frozen fish sticks, the constant threat of nuclear annihilation. <laughs> experiencing possible. alcohol and frozen fish sticks. Just yeah, that's, that's a Friday night I've sometimes. It. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't.
2: I plan to stay here.
1: If this is your
0: attempt at... Yeah,
2: here, it leaves so many possibilities. Like, you could totally commerce, social and technological uh, totally write yeah. stories from Astral. There, there was a short story in the Strange New World.
0: Yeah, there was one, yeah. I dropped that's and he just, just drops the bomb. I'm going to stay. That's closer than we anticipated. Your duty, it's to return to Vulcan and report your findings. There's still more
1: to learn about these people. All of them are just one.
2: This has nothing to do with Maggie. So here, I get the impression that he didn't stay with Maggie. I
0: think that he left. I think he ended up leaving. Where would you go? To one of their I mean, I just picture him as like the Vulcan version of Kwai Chan Kane. Moving from place to place, checking it all out. So much to see. Maybe getting into bar fights. Will never allow it.
1: Tell him it's not possible.
0: Kung Fu the... And then eventually, you know, you think, he's is his identity discovered or does he remain in secret? You know does, 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 do, does, be do we become aware of his presence do the, does the government act on that I, have, more you know, I could do this all day with this guy does he go to the some college in the Northwest and teach <laughs> is he is he the John Lithgow character from Third Rock from the Sun right. of course, you can do this in 1958 when there are no satellites
2: right. It's too bad at the beginning when they had their campfire, they weren't singing, roll, roll, roll your boat, (laughs) eating beans.
1: Roasting marshmallows. 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 So
0: Vulcans can lie. Big time. I didn't know that.
1: They always could lie.
0: They could always lie. They just didn't want to, or they they chose not to for personal gain or whatever.
1: They lied when they said they couldn't lie, man. There you
0: go, yeah. That's Norman Coordinate (laughs) right there. So my opinion
2: is this happened because she's you know at the end of the episode that we're about to see she's got the purse. Right.
1: Yeah,
0: I think it happened.
1: She leaves them hanging with the story but yeah, she has the purse. Footnote.
2: This is like finding out Neil Armstrong wasn't the first man to walk on the moon. So would is so yeah, she says it's a footnote at best. So would this be groundbreaking like is would this be like a shocking revelation or would this be just like oh actually it was over a year.
0: Well, I mean, but what? they forget, you know, it's like the Ferengi were on Earth in the 40s. And so they forget they forget about that. And, you know, Guinan was on Earth in the 19th century, but they didn't know they wouldn't have known that.
1: It's not as it doesn't have all the pomp and circumstance of the official first contact after the official warp drive, you know, or the first warp drive and all that. <laughs> yeah. And I
0: yeah, Tripp's asking all the questions. What happened when he finally died? Did they figure out he was a Vulcan? You know, right. so these are all... Like I said, if you're a writer and you're, and this is how the episode ends, you're thinking, this is gold mine. Damn, Captain. Yeah. But I like to think it actually happened because she has the purse.
1: Yeah. If you check my record, you'll note that I also visited
2: Yellowstone Park. I'm okay with that. There we go. Three people here. We all agree it happened.
1: Yeah. But she also visited Yellowstone Park and Carlsbad Caverns, you know, so thank you for the meal man she is a huckster right here she is a con lady she's
0: She's not really lying right now she's just being coy right
1: well half truth is still truth right
0: they're looking at night Uh, I don't think so
2: I think she has pajamas for the whole run. These green pajamas. More candles.
1: Mm-hmm. There's the purse.
2: There's the purse. It's real. It happened. I'm surprised that her mother, her grandmother, would have kept that purse, though. Great grandmother.
0: She had the purse when she left. <laughs> Did she have the purse when they picked them up?
2: well I guess she must have but still it's she st- weird
1: she stowed it in her gear probably so it, the, her time there made her a little more sentimental all right so Archer's theme is rolling so dayton what what did you what do you think about carbon creek
0: i uh, like i said i had, it was one of the episodes I liked the first time through uh when it originally aired and it's still it's still one of my favorites from from the whole run
2: what kind of rating would you give it
0: on a scale of what,
2: let's say one to five, you can you can give it a funny rating. I give it give f- it
0: give it a, I give it a four. I mean, it's not it's not three or four, somewhere in there. Four frozen fish sticks. There you go. Four frozen fish sticks. Um, you know, it's <laughs> it's a nice change of pace from what we just didn't. This the second episode of the second season. Yes. Yep. We it's, we came off shockwave, so this is sort of a breather before we get on with it. For what? Because minefield is next. So. It's a good, uh, it's a good little breather before we get on with the craziness of the second season.
1: Yep, I agree. I agree. Brandon, what did you think? I like this episode a lot. Um, I didn't,
2: uh, uh, I didn't actually remember this, and believe it or not, so I've been going through my my books, and it was about, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, two years ago maybe, that I actually watched this episode because I was going back and reading all of the Star Trek books that I had missed, and I actually read this and read the, or sort of watched this so that I could read from History's Shadow um, and know what was going on a little bit better, because it had been so long since I'd seen Enterprise. You know, because, like I've said many times on the show here before, I watched Enterprise in first run. I bought them all on DVD and watched them back when they first came out in 2005 and didn't watch them again until, and I didn't watch the whole series again until last January when we did the rewatch for Trek FM. So I, I picked up a few episodes here and there, but yeah, I actually had watched this for, for um reading from History Shadow and was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. But it was my first Enterprise episode in a decade, this one, when I watched it about two years
1: ago. Oh wow.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say I up until I guess what, it'd be twenty twelve, twenty thirteen when I was writing the book. Um I don't know that I'd watched Enterprise since it left the air. Mm-hmm. I mean I may have I may have watched the mirror universe ones and a couple other ones just for goofs but i didn't it wasn't in my rotation or anything like that i had the DVDs so i could use them for reference but it wasn't something i'd pull off the shelf and watch on a rainy day you know mm-hmm. um but yeah once i got done researching for the book i i went and just decided to do it and then by then i think the blu-rays were coming out so i had i had upgraded to blu-ray so i have i of course had to binge watch them all at that point
1: yeah i agree i i actually I didn't really prefer this episode the first time I saw it, like the first time through the very first time I, I I guess I was kind of up on the shockwave and expecting to keep the roller coaster going. And I kind of thought it was kind of odd. The very, the second episode was such a hit the brakes kind of thing, but now in rewatches, I really appreciate it because it's just a different type of show. It's just a different type of episode. And yeah, I, and I, I've heard a lot of people, like a lot of listeners and fans of Enterprise, they say the same thing that they, you know, they really like the change of pace. They really like that they slowed down. And they dug deep on a backstory.
0: Yeah, to me, and, it's sort of like uh, changing gears when after Best of Both Worlds they do Family, and after Stormfront they do Home. Um, you know, you gotta you gotta catch your breath before you you know before the roller coaster hits that next climb again.
1: Right. But yeah, I really, I really like this on a rewatch, you know, because like you said, it's sandwiched in between some really high octane, you know, we, I mean, we have the Romulans coming on the next one for spoilers for those of you that are waiting for the commentary for Minefield, right? It's a cool episode, you know, set in a time period. I mean, I'm a Twilight Zone fan anyway. So them mentioning that this is like, sounds like an episode of the Twilight Zone. It actually kind of looks like an episode of the Twilight Zone, you know, with just better sets and color. You know, so yeah, I would, I, I really enjoy this. So Dayton, you've mentioned your book that you've written. Um, it, I it would be considered a continuation to Carbon Creek. So uh, let our listeners know uh, like what the name of it is, you know, and like any other little tidbits you want to sell them on it if they're not already sold.
0: Well, the book is called From History's Shadow and it takes its cue from uh cue the word not cue the character um it takes its cue from episodes like little green men from ds9 and tomorrow was yesterday from the original show and assignment earth from the original show and of course carbon creek from enterprise and i somehow found a way to string a plot that connected all these episodes using elements of real history Uh, there really was a project blue book that the air force conducted back during the 50s and 60s to investigate sightings of UFOs and, and possible alien encounters. They never found anything. They always debunked everything. Um, so my I, I managed to wrap a Star Trek story around that, dealing with uh, a, a leftover tidbit from the temporal Cold War. Um, and that is featuring Kirk and Spock's Enterprise dealing with some of these elements. And then I followed that up a couple years later with a, another book called Elusive Salvation, which again is Kirk and Spock, but this time it's set in the 80s on earth with the time travel element and Mistral factors in both of these novels um, to varying degrees as I continue the time travel shenanigans. And I have one more book that I'm going to do before I think I get this out of my system and it's called uh, hearts and minds and it's a next generation novel that will be out in May. And yes, Mistral will be in that book as well.
2: Oh, wow. It's actually
0: set during the 21st century. Now I bumped the timeline up. Now we're in the 2030s. Oh wow! At this point, so
1: the Mastral trilogy.
0: So yeah, and I did I did take into account things like that um, that short story from Strange New Worlds, where mm-hmm. he's and where he's in there.
1: Oh wow! Yeah,
2: That's I haven't cool. had a chance to read Elusive Salvation yet because it came out right like right at the um, peak of when I was doing my rewatch for the Trek FM network here, um, but I'm going to be getting to it soon. I'm just finishing up the Prey trilogy right now.
0: Oh yeah, you're busy.
2: Yeah. And then I, well, I'm in the last one there. And then I got to read your new next generation book. Uh, the one that just came out in February. Oh, um, Headlong Flight. Right. So I want to, I want to catch up on the modern time before I go back to that one. So that seems fair. Yeah. <laughs> but I will get to it. I'm excited.
1: So, Dayton, uh, what, uh, other recent or current or upcoming projects can our listeners also look out for besides your Mistral tri- trilogy that you're going to finish up
0: Well uh, yeah I was going to say Headlong Flight as as uh as you said come, came out in January and that's sort of my current book. Um Hearts and Minds is another next gen book that will be out in May. I've also got for those of you all who maybe read the Vulcan Travel Guide that I wrote with Inside Editions last year I'm doing another travel guide this time for the Klingon Empire. That will be out in late July, I think. Nice. Uh, and I'm, you know, I have a few other projects that are percolating or in process, but I can't say much about them because I'm, I'm under, I'm under gag orders. Can't talk Marco. about anything. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not allowed to talk about anything.
2: Have you written anything else? Like any short stories in any other? Oh yeah, I forgot about that
0: one. I, I, I had an anthology, there was an anthology that came out in January uh, for Planet of the Apes, the classic continuity for planet of the apes so the original five movies (laughs) the two television shows uh i had a short story in that collection it's it's called tales from the forbidden zone and my story features the characters from the live action television series from the 70s which i'm a big fan of warts and all um i did that book was published by titan books uh and they're also they have a lot of licensed properties including alien and terminator and the predator and all that sort of thing. So I actually wrote a story for a predator anthology that will be out later this year. Uh, the anthology is called if it bleeds and it's edited by Brian Thomas Schmidt. And my story takes place in Vietnam in 1968. Oh, Ooh. wow. But all the right. stories are, the, the stories are scattered all across the, uh, all, across a very broad swath of history.
1: Oh man. I love the predator movies.
0: I'm a huge fan of the Predator movies. I was there awesome. opening night the for the original one in the '80s, and I've been a fan ever since. Wow,
2: it's fun! Like these anthologies that are coming out right now. You know, like there's three X Files anthologies that have come out over the last couple of years, and there's a lot of Star Trek writers that have written on those. Yeah, and there's exactly. a, a Night of the Living Dead anthology coming out soon as well.
0: Yeah, hmm. uh, awesome. Jonathan Mayberry. Jonathan Mayberry is responsible for those four books you just mentioned: the three X Files anthologies yeah. and the uh, Night of the Living Dead. I think he. He actually, I don't know if he co-edited it with, but he had the blessing of George Romero to do this.
2: Yeah, and George Romero wrote a story for it, too. I don't know if
0: he wrote Yeah, yeah okay. So he did have some involvement. So he had George Romero's total okie-dokie to do this. Yep. And I'm as excited to read that book as anybody, even though I'm a little bitter because I didn't get invited to write a story for it. <laughs> I see, and, I, and there's a uh, Titan's got an anthology coming out for aliens later this year. I think it's in June. It's called Bug Hunt or something. It's It's a colonial marine's themed or centric anthology of aliens stories and i even asked the guy i said how can you have an anthology with the word marines in the title and you don't call me how does that even work (laughs) i mean it was good natured ribbing but i I did not let him off the hook on that one i mean i i I teased him greatly about that one
2: it was good natured ribbing but you still slashed his tires i still slashed his tires that's
0: right
1: (laughs) well dayton how can our listeners uh, follow you on social media or get in contact with you
0: I spend way too much time on social media. Um, for those of you who follow me, you already know this. Um, but you can start your excursion uh, at Daytonward.com, and that is basically a portal to my blog and my social media platform—Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I think there's a key, or there's, a, there's a link to my articles that I've written for Star Trek.com and other websites. Um, but yeah, I, I call it my portal to internet banality. Um, so if you want, it, it's all things Dayton more than you could possibly want.
1: Right. Well, I follow you on Facebook and your posts are kind of funny sometimes because you'll say, you know, I should be writing a book, but yet I, here I am writing on Facebook.
0: Yes, it's, <laughs> that's, it's, it can be quite a time sink. Right. Uh, but I mean, it's fun. It's fun. To, it's fun to talk to the people who read your stuff. You're, you know, when I say my stuff, they read my books, they read my short stories. It's fun to talk to people. And I don't, I know that what I write will not be universally loved and somebody who liked my last book won't like my next book. I I get that. It's just the nature of the beast, but it's still fun to talk to people and and get reactions and just hang out and talk about whatever, talk about the movie we all just saw last weekend or the game last night or, you know, talk about, unfortunately, politics comes up, Uh, but I try to keep it light. I try to keep it fun. Even when we're talking about serious things, I still try to find a way to make people smile if possible. I'd rather make you smile than make you. you mad. So,
1: Oh, well, yeah. It's it's laugh out loud sometimes. It's just, that's some good stuff.
0: This is so that, how we deal, man.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on Warp 5, Dayton.
0: No, oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. It was fun to revisit the episode. I hadn't had a chance to watch it in a few years.
1: It's been a lot of fun talking to Dayton Ward and commenting on Carbon Creek, but this isn't the only thing we've been doing here on Trek FM, so here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
0: Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Alright, I'll tell you what. You know, I have never, ever, ever worn a costume or cosplayed or anything like that. Now, the challenge, the gauntlet has been out there. We're gonna have to put together a Mugatu costume. <laughs>
2: Mugatu costume.
0: We got to. To the journey! Ma- make him taller. Give him some salt and pepper gray hair. Yeah. Make those shoulders broader. Your peers have put a tattoo over his left eye. <laughs> oh my god, look what I just did! <laughs> I made it to cutie.
1: Warp 5 are uh, you an outside entity that is watching you deal as the bad uh, archer with the good archer and and scott just looks at me and turns around and goes, oh god will someone come here and get gary a strip meta Tricks. but these romulans are still walking around in those nasty pointy shoulder tunics that they wear i mean what's up with that <laughs> doesn't
0: seem like they shed as much of their identity as the Klingons Yeah, no, no, not
1: shedding as much of their identity.
0: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
1: Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or you can go to our website, pick up our MP3 file or our RSS link. And if you're an Apple's user, please hit that subscribe button and leave us an iTunes review. That can help us be more visible to other listeners and help us grow the show. And another way you can help us is to keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. So if you visit patreon.com/trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com/trekfm, you can see what all of our current goals are right now. And for just as little as one dollar a month, you could really help our network. I mean, if we had half of the people who download Trek FM shows every month that gave one dollar. It would just set us to the next level. We would actually hire our own private editors. And basically, we, we could uh, let Brandon here take a little bit of a vacation because he actually has to edit the show for us. And then if you jump up to $5 a month, you can access the Patron Zone. So Brandon is actually the Patron Zone manager for Trek FM. So let me tell, let him tell you a little bit about Patron Zone.
2: Patron Zone is a really cool place where you can go and you can get access to little exclusive, you know, bonus episodes that the hosts have created. Little deleted scenes that we've taken out of an episode because maybe it's just a crazy tangent that's just way too far out there for us to keep in the episode because it's just weird. So sometimes we delete those and we put them in an episode uh, and we just put it up there for you to take a listen to or, you know. A couple of special commentaries are up there. Uh, Ken Tripp and I did a special commentary for Trials and Tribulations. So that's up there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So five bucks a month gets you to that. And you also get access to early releases of episodes.
1: Also, if you'd like to wear your Trek FM fandom, you can find great Trek FM theme merchandise at trekfm.store. So I'd also like to thank our co-associate producers, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, and another new co associate producer that we have justin oser thank you so much mike tim and justin for being co-associate producers of warp 5 and they support trek fm through patreon by uh jumping all the way up to the associate producer level so thank you so much for supporting the network and supporting warp 5 guys i also like to thank tony robinson for creating the very cool show art for all of our episodes and thank you brandon for handling the editing and publishing of warp 5 you're welcome if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can also find us at trek.fm slash contact. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpop.com slash trek.fm and leave us a voicemail. And Brandon will add your voicemail to the episode so you'll actually hear your voice on the radio.
2: I dare you guys. I dare you guys to, to send us a voicemail. None of you will do it. You're all too scared. Uh-oh. I dare you.
1: He's using, that, he's using that reverse Vulcan logic or like psychology on you here. So, so go ahead and go prove him wrong. Leave us a voicemail. He'll put you on the show. It, you can also contact us through Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek FM, and The Babel Conference. Type The Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook. Or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So, Brandon, this was very cool. We got to do a commentary of Carbon Creek and we had Dayton Ward as a guest on. So that that was like a double awesomeness right here. Double whammy. Yeah, I almost said double whammy. Exactly right. Just double awesome sauce all over the place. So, Brandon, if uh, people wanted to contact you to discuss where where in the timeline the invention of Velcro could have possibly fit in, uh, how can they reach you?
2: Uh, just give me a second here. I gotta finish putting my shirt on from behind this uh, this cloth. Oh, no,
1: I'm, I'm not. I'm gonna pause, I'm gonna close my audio for or my video for a second here. Okay.
2: No, it's okay. You can look.
1: <laughs> oh no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, when I'm not changing my shirt behind the, uh, the laundry, uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Brandon uh, You can find me here on the network with new episodes of Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. Every once in a while, I poke my head up in the Babel Conference. And you can find me also on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I'm doing a podcast with some friends of mine called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. So just search Good Evening on Facebook or Good Evening Pod on Twitter. And Floyd, where can people find you when you're not fixing the neighbor's uh, plumbing?
1: <laughs> you can get in touch with me if, you, if you're if you having trouble with your sink or your toaster or whatever it is. Uh, you can get in touch with me on the Babel Conference, the Trek FM listeners page on Facebook. So thanks everyone for listening and join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5.